You can't always trust people to be honest about who they are. Take this lady here, Anna Sorokin, for example. Just over a week ago, this 28-year-old woman was was convicted in a New York courtroom. She'd passed herself off as a German heiress. And she tricked her friends and financial institutions that she had a a fortune of about 60 million euro and claimed her father was a diplomat or an oil baron. And her deception led to a lavish lifestyle that included month-long stays in extravagant New York hotels and eating at gourmet restaurants with celebrities. But it was all a scam. And it eventually fell apart when her credit cards began to fail and other people were left to pick up the bills, including one for a holiday in Morocco that cost $62,000. That was some holiday, wasn't it? And so a week passed on Thursday, she was convicted of multiple offences, including the stealing of more than $200,000. And she'll be sentenced later this month. Although there are already rumours that Netflix has bought the rights to her story. So, watch this space. In this world, you can't always trust people to be honest about who they are. There are many people who claim to be something that they're not. So, what about Jesus? Last week, we looked at his stunning claims about who he was. He claimed that he was... He is fully God, that he is equal with the Father. He claimed that he is the one who will raise the dead. He he claimed he is the ultimate judge who will judge everyone. And he claimed that he is the risen Saviour, the one who will save all who trust in him. These are incredible claims. If they're true, then knowing and trusting in Jesus is the most important thing that we can ever do. But the biggest question is, are they true? Can we trust that Jesus is who he said he is? Or are these just another another set of outlandish claims by someone with delusions of grandeur? Well, Jesus went on in John chapter 5 to show us why we can be sure he is who he claimed to be. It's as if he puts himself in trial and he presents three witnesses or three testimonies that can vouch that he is who he said he is. So we're going to read from John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. John chapter 5, verse 31. If you just want to listen, that's fine too. So, John chapter 5, verse 31, down to the end of the chapter. If I testify about myself, this is Jesus speaking, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favour. And I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony. But I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. 
For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. Nor does his word dwell in you for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what I, what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? We've already seen in John that Jesus knew that there are some people who claim to be someone they're not. In John chapter 2, John was writing about those people who claim to believe in Jesus by seeing his miracles. and But it says in verse 24, Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. Sadly, since the fall, the word of human beings can always be trusted. Self-testimony is not always valid. That's why in the Old Testament law, one witness was never enough. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 19, one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offence he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Any statement or accusation needed to be corroborated by others so that people could know the truth. And so this is why Jesus said here, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. Of course, he's not saying that he's not speaking the truth. We can always take Jesus at his word. He is the very embodiment of truth. But he knows that his listeners needed something more than just his words to believe in him. They needed other witnesses to testify about who he is. And here Jesus presented three testimonies, three witnesses, so that we can be sure. So three testimonies, so we can be sure Jesus is who he claims to be. And the first witness is in verse 33. It's John the Baptist. You have have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. As we've seen before, John came before Jesus and he testified to the people that the Messiah was coming. I baptize by, by, with water, John said, 
But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John knew that the Messiah was somebody far, far greater than he was. And when Jesus stepped into that public ministry, John clearly and faithfully fulfilled his God-given calling to point people to Jesus. He declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John did not encourage people to look at himself. He didn't try to take all the attention and say, look at me, everybody. Instead, he had deflected that attention away from him and he called people to trust in Jesus. John wasn't the ultimate light of the world. And said he was a lamp that burned and gave light. So although John's testimony is not of ultimate importance here, it was crucial for some people to hear. Look at verse 34. Not that I I accept human testimony, Jesus said, but I mention it that you may be saved. In the end, John, of course, he was just a man. So his word cannot be taken as completely dependable. And Jesus, he knew that, so he didn't seek the approval or the recommendation of others. And yet John's testimony did point people to Jesus. And as a result of that, some people trusted in Jesus for salvation. So that's why his testimony was important. And amazingly, that can be the same for us. Yes, we need to be careful about who we listen to. However, if we really want to know if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then we can listen to the the, the testimony of other people. It's okay to listen to the testimony of other people. Whether they are the writings of Christians from the past, or even the testimony of other people here today who have accepted Jesus for themselves and would stand up and say, yes, I believe Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, human testimony is important, can be vitally important. But this also highlights how important being a witness is in our lives. In fact, one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to empower us to be witnesses in this world. Acts chapter 1 says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you and you will be my witnesses. Now, us as a witness, as a testimony about Jesus, we don't have as much authority as other witnesses, the ones that we're going to see here later in a minute or two. But still our testimony can be important in the lives of other people. Through our personal testimony of who Jesus is, other people can put their faith in Jesus. So we have this amazing privilege today that we can point people to Jesus. So that they can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, they may have life in his name.
don't miss out on this wonderful privilege of pointing people to Jesus. But just, just before we move on, as we think about John the Baptist, I think he also reminds us that that privilege comes at a cost. John the Baptist faithfully pointed people to Christ. But then he was imprisoned. And then he was beheaded at the request of a dancer. In Matthew chapter 14, his head was brought in in a platter and given to a girl, to the girl. Comes the cost. It's costly to speak up for Jesus in this world. Our circumstances are very different from John. But we need to be aware that being a personal witness to Jesus will come at a cost. But we don't need to be afraid of that cost. Because that cost will be worth it. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble. And I think we probably can all agree with that. But Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. So, the first witness, the first testimony to the identity of Jesus was John the Baptist. But Jesus said, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. There's a testimony about Jesus that is much more, has much more authority, much more weight behind it than just John's words. And this is the testimony of Jesus' miraculous work. Look at verse 36. The very work that the Father has given me to finish, of which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. All of the miracles that Jesus did, healing broken bodies, releasing the demon possessed, calming the storms, feeding the crowds, raising the dead, these were not just meeting the needs of people who were in desperate situations right there and then. These miracles also pointed to the reality of who Jesus is. And so Jesus said things like this in John's Gospel, chapter 10. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. Then chapter 14, he said to his disciples, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And then on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and gave his sermon and he said this in Acts 2, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs. So God wants us to look at what Jesus did and conclude that he is who he said he was. This actually was the evidence that Jesus presented to John the Baptist. I don't know if you remember that John the Baptist, was, when he was imprisoned, he began to doubt. He began to question the reality of if Jesus really was the Messiah. So he sent two of his disciples to go to Jesus and ask them the question, Are you the Christ? Listen to what Jesus replied. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. 
And that's the evidence that John wants us to look at as he writes his gospel. John records seven of these miracles in his gospel. And he calls them signs. He calls them signs because they point us to the reality of who Jesus is. And what he came to do. And maybe this is why the miracles of Jesus are, so, are under so much attack these days by sceptics. We are told that these things are just impossible, aren't we? We're told nobody can do that. These things are just impossible. That the people of the past, they believed in those things because of their ignorance and because of their superstitious nature. And that scientifically educated people don't believe in miracles anymore. But that's not a scientific conclusion based on any evidence. That's simply the statement based on their own presuppositions of the fact that there is no God in their minds. So instead John wrote his gospel so that we can investigate the evidence and base our conclusions on that evidence based on what we discover. And the last of the signs in John's Gospels, in John's Gospel, is the resurrection of Jesus himself. What we celebrated a couple of weeks ago. John's goal is that when we're confronted with the evidence of Jesus' work, we'll respond like Thomas did. When he saw the evidence of the risen Lord, he said to Jesus, My Lord, and my God. So those two testimonies. about the, So that we can know who Jesus is. So we can be sure he is who he claims to be. From John the Baptist. But even a weightier testimony. Is from the evidence of his miracles. But there's one other testimony mentioned in our passage. Jesus said that the Father himself testified concerning Jesus through his word. The Jewish leaders, they were people of the Old Testament scriptures. They weren't like mags. I should confess today that she hasn't read through the Old Testament yet. The Old Testament, the Jewish leaders, they were experts in it. So they read and they studied it in depth. Jesus said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. They devoted themselves to reading and studying and memorizing and seeing to understand all of the commands in the Old Testament scriptures. Because they thought that by learning all of them and by trying to keep all of these rituals and all of these rules, they could earn that right standing before God and so gain eternal life. But as, as Mags reminded us this morning, that's just impossible. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law... The Old Testament law does not make anybody right with God. Instead it just reveals how very far short of God's standards we've fallen. 
When you read the, the, the Ten Commandments, for example, I know some people say, oh no, I just live by the Ten Commandments. The Bible says, no you don't. We need to say that nicely and gently to somebody, but no you don't. Because nobody does. The Ten Commandments weren't given so we could live by them and then we could be right with God. They were given to show us how far short of God's standards we've fallen. The law cannot save us. Instead, it convicts us of our sin and then points us to a saviour. And it's that saviour that the Old Testament scriptures is really all about. Jesus said this, an amazing verse, verse 39. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Jesus was saying, the message of the Old Testament is me. Now that's shockingly self-centered if it's not true, isn't it? What an amazing claim to say. That the whole of the Old Testament is all about me. But that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus said that about Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. He says this in verse 48. Moses, he wrote about me. So those books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, are all about Jesus. So for example, Jesus is the one in Genesis chapter 3 that God said will crush the serpent's head as a serpent will bruise his heel. Jesus is the seed of Abraham through whom God will bless all peoples on earth. Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the one who, like Joseph, was betrayed by his brothers so that he could save his people. Jesus is like the rescuer, is a rescuer like Moses, who was sent to his people so that they could be freed from slavery. Jesus is the Passover lamb whose blood was shed to redeem his people. He is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system and the festivals and the Sabbath days. Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle through whom God made his dwelling among us. Jesus is that bronze serpent that Moses lifted up in the, in the, in the desert to save all who looked to him. Jesus is the water that flowed from the rock. To satisfy all of our thirsty souls. Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke about when he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him. Moses wrote about Jesus. That's what Jesus revealed to those two disciples whom he met on the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Sunday. It says in Luke chapter 24, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So the point of the Old Testament is not to make people right with God. 
But it's to point them to the person who could. This is what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. That we might be declared right in God's sight through our faith in Him. So today, if we're not sure who Jesus is, if we're not sure about his claims, then the best thing to do is pick up this book and to read it. See who he is. See his power and his strength, his majesty and his awe, his holiness and his purity, and his love and his grace. The Bible is all about Jesus. From start to finish. That's so sad, isn't it? That the Jews who studied the Bible daily couldn't see this and didn't accept this. Jesus said to them, these are the scriptures that testify about me, but you do not believe the one he sent. The Jews did not believe the one that God sent. This was not because of lack of effort. They weren't just lazy about this. Neither was it lack of intelligence. And said Jesus mentioned a number of reasons why they missed this. Let me just summarize them quickly. Verse 41. The reasons were because they hadn't been impacted by God's love. You do not have the love of God in your hearts. Secondly, verse 44. They cared more about what other people thought than what God thought. You accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. Thirdly, God's word just didn't dwell in them. They did not believe the Bible that they had. If you believed Moses, Jesus said, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. That's why Jesus said that their chief accuser wasn't going to be Jesus, but it was going to be Moses, the one that they revered so highly. And yet Jesus said, you don't even even believe these scriptures that you're an expert in. But ultimately, the ultimate reason why they refused to come to Jesus was just their rebellious hearts. Verse 40, you refuse to come to me to have life. And the sad thing is that even among those who read and study the Bible today, there are still many who refuse to come to Jesus for life. There are still many who refuse to put their trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Even in many churches around this world. Even many people who stand in pulpits and preach from those churches. This week I read a a recent interview from the New York Times. And it was with a woman who's a church minister. 
and she's also the president of a large theological seminary in, in the States. And she's been a professor of theology for decades. And yet in this, this interview, this is what she said. She said that the virgin birth is a bizarre claim. She said the idea of Jesus dying on the cross so that God could forgive us is nuts. She said that those who claim that Jesus, that they know that Jesus rose from the dead are kidding themselves. And she said that hell just doesn't exist. Isn't that really tragic? That somebody would say those things? And she's, her role is the head of a seminary that teaches pastors and preachers to go and teach the Bible. She's a modern day expert in the Bible. I'm sure she could teach me lots of things about the Bible. She knows the Bible much better than I do. But she doesn't know the truth. And so sadly, she doesn't know Jesus. Wouldn't it be terrible if somebody made the same mistake here this morning? That we knew all about Jesus. But we didn't come to him to experience his life. Yes, Jesus' claims are incredible. If they were made by anybody else, we would not want anything to do with them. But we don't just need to take Jesus' word for it. We can listen to these three testimonies. We can hear John the Baptist witness to the identity of Jesus. We can see the evidence of Jesus' miraculous work that reveal who he is. And we can read God's word that points to Jesus from start to finish. And we can know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we can confidently put our faith in him and receive the eternal life that only he can give.